Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Thanks for joining today. We are in the midst of October, which for those of us who live in this world of college admissions year after year is probably the most stressful and busiest month, uh, mostly because so many students do tend to submit an application by at least one of the early deadlines. Um, and November 1 is just this huge deadline in the that's looming, but things get easier after November 1. So that's the good news. And the good news for those of you who are going through this process uh, and who are applying by an early deadline, the good news is that typically once you get that first one out the door, it's, it's not as hard to get the rest of them completed. Um, so anyway, today we are focused on uh, applications uh, and seniors, and we are spending um, some of our time talking about essay prompts. So we're specifically going to be talking about the Yale Supplement and the Penn State Triers Honors College Supplement, um, which you may have heard Karen Spencer and I complaining about back on the show on October 7th. But today we're not going to complain. We're just going to walk you through it and help you understand how to complete it. Um, but before we get to that, we're going to talk about EFC and NPC. Um, and joining me is my colleague, Chrissy Ferran. Hi, Chrissy. Hi. How are you, Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. And thank you for joining today because um, this is something I know almost nothing about. Uh, certainly EFC makes rings a bell with me, <laughs> NPC less so. So um, these are college co- cost calculators. And I guess, um, you know, as we get started, why don't we start with the first one, which is what is an EFC? What's that all about? Yeah, so we're, we're having fun with acronyms today. So yes. um, the EFC is basically um, the it's what's called the expected family contribution. And what that is, is it's basically the result that you get when a family fills out the FAFSA. Um, as a lot of people may know or not know, the FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid. So when you fill out the FAFSA, you put in all sorts of information into that form. And when they calculate it, they basically give you, uh, the government tells you what they think your EFC is, which is also basically what that is, is it's what they think um, you can reasonably pay for one year of college costs for your child. So the EFC can be um, a range of numbers. It can be zero. It can be, you know, 45,000. It can be 95,000. Um, typically, the lower the number, the lower your expected family contribution, the better your chances are of getting um, need-based aid. So um, the expected family contribution is that number the EFC is used by every college um, in the nation, basically. Got it. Um, so it's it's an important number to know when you're filling out the FAFSA and to know, you know, to compare college costs, things like that. Okay. So which begs the question, how do colleges use that EFC? So they've got this number now. How do they use it in their process? Yeah, good question. So every college in the nation will use um, the same, they'll use your same EFC, 
whether it's a two-year community college, whether it's a four-year private school or a four-year uh, public college. Um, so as I said, you know, your EFC could be zero, it could be 90,000. It really just depends on the information that, per, that you provide on that FAFSA. So really what colleges will do with that is they take your EFC, your expected family contribution, and then they compare that with their college's own cost of attendance. And so cost of attendance includes tuition and fees. It includes room and board, um, books. So basically what it would cost for your child to go to school and live for a year on campus, that's the cost of attendance. So they take your EFC, they compare it with your cost of attendance. If your EFC number, if that's larger than the college's cost of attendance, you pretty much typically won't qualify for any right. need-based aid at the school um, because the college thinks that you can already pay for it. So if your EFC is you know $36,000 and the college costs $30,000 a year, right. they already think you can pay. So they're not probably going to offer you much in terms of need-based aid. Um, however, if your EFC um, is less, so if you're looking at a, you know, more of a private school where the cost of attendance is higher, if your EFC is less than that college's cost of attendance, now you have a gap. And so the right. college will hopefully help you fill that gap um, with different types of need-based aid. It could be grants or scholarships. It could be work study. It could be interest-free student loans. Um, so really, the larger the gap that you have with that college's cost of attendance, um, the better your chances can be at getting help from that school. So depending on the school and the cost of the, of the college, you could get more help from a private school, technically, than, than you could a state school. It just it depends on your EFC and, and the cost of the college. Right. And it probably does bear repeating. It's something we've talked about in the past. Just because there is a gap between what you what the EFC has determined you can afford to pay and what the college costs, not every college fills the gap. So unfortunately, you could have an EFC of zero and right. have a college that thinks you can, well, doesn't think, they know you can't afford to pay 20000 a year, but they'll, that will be what they yeah. just say, that what that's what their package is, right? Not yeah. ideal, but. I have families that we talk to and say, oh, well, our EFC was, you know, 36000 but the college is telling us we have to pay 49000 We don't understand, but right. there's a lot of colleges that can't fill 100% of every family's gap that, that exists, so they do the best they can. Some colleges can, um, but it, it's not, you know, the majority of them. So right. you could wind up paying more than your EFC um, shows. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so what information goes into determining the EFC? That that I'm sure a lot of people are saying, well, how are they going to come up with this number? Yeah, so the EFC, there's so many things that actually go into calculating your expected family contribution on the FAFSA. Um, when you fill out that form, basically, they look at your income, um, they look at assets, uh, they look at the number of people in your household. So if you have, you know, five children, um, you may have a better chance than if you had one child. They look at the number of people in college. Um, they take into account the age of the parents. Um, so those are just a few of the things that help determine it. They look at student assets. They look at student income. So if your child did work, if they have, you know, money saved in their own name, that can certainly affect it and, and be a factor too. But there's a lot of different calculations that go into calculating your expected family contribution, but those are the main ones for the most Got part. Got it. And, and actually, this brings us to the topic today, which we we're talking about these cost calculators. Yep. So does it help, do you think, to use an EFC calculator? 
I think so. I mean, it's it's obviously you need to kind of know what an EFC is in the first place, which is kind of why we were talking about that. But right, right. I think if you're just, you know, we talk to a lot of parents on the phone who are just starting the college planning process. Maybe their child is a freshman in high school. Maybe they're a junior and they're just thinking, okay, now we're starting to get serious about this. And they're really wondering what their chances are of qualifying for financial aid or for need-based aid. Um, these calculators can really help give you a, a good general idea of what the government thinks your ability to pay would be. Um, and so you can use that to compare with colleges that your child is looking at. So you can, if you know what your general EFC is from these calculators, um, as I said, you can compare those to the schools if your child already has some interest in some schools, look at that cost of attendance, see if you have a gap, see how big that, that, that gap is, um, and you may get some help from the school. So you just need to keep in mind that these calculators aren't exact. You know, they're not going to be um, the exact EFC that the FAFS is going to give you there. It's more of a general number. It just is supposed to give you an idea of, hey, we're not going to get any financial aid at, you know, a, a public school in our state, but maybe we'll get some at a private, you know, that kind of a thing. Right, um, right. So really the only way to know what your actual EFC is, is to fill out the FAFSA in your child's senior year of high school. Usually in October is when that opens. But we do have a really good website that we typically refer families to for an EFC calculator. Um, mm -hmm. The website is just bigfuture.org. Um, and that's the same website. It's sponsored by the College Board who does the SAT test. So you can go to that website. You can search on their website for the EFC calculator. And you really want to have your most recent tax information and your asset information with you when you're completing it. So it, the great thing is it doesn't ask for any login information. It doesn't have you create an account or anything. It's really just a calculator that's asking you for numbers um, so that you can see results. Right. So it's not keeping those in any way. It's just no. you would use it like you use the calculator on your phone. When yep. you delete it, it's gone. Okay. Yep, exactly. So we, we talked about EFC calculator and mentioned an NPC calculator, which I now see is the net price calculator. <laughs> so before we talk about the difference between those two calculators, can you very quickly give us a definition on what net price is? Yeah, so um, the net price of a school is basically what your family will have to pay. Um, it's the sticker price basically minus any financial aid, scholarships, grants, you know, that the school might offer. So a lot of families don't end up paying the actual sticker price of a school. Usually there is some type of aid that's offered or, or merit scholarships or something. So the net price is the sticker price that's published on the college's website minus anything they might offer you for financial aid purposes or academic purposes. And okay. so what you ultimately will end up paying is your sticker price. Got it. Okay. So then what is the difference between, I think you kind of have alluded to this now, an EFC calculator and a net price calculator? Yeah. So these are both really great tools. You know, we use them a lot. We talk about them a lot with families. Um, the EFC calculator, as, as I kind of, kind of explained earlier, it's really what a family would use to determine your overall general expected family contribution. And you can use that one number to compare at any college in the nation, public, private, two-year, four-year, you can use that same number to compare college costs. Um, the EFC, or I'm sorry, the net price calculator that's a calculator that every college website has on their own website. They're required to have that by the Department of Education. It is a calculator specific to the college itself and to their cost of attendance. So if a family, you know, so you can know what your general EFC is, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know what the college itself may offer. 
So right. if a family has specific colleges in mind, if they've got a list already of three, four, five colleges, you can sometimes you can get a good accurate estimate of what their real cost would be by going to that college's website, searching for the net price calculator and putting in roughly the same type of information that you would for an EFC calculator. So you will get a different result with every net price calculator that you use. Right. Um, because every college has a different cost of attendance. You know, some are 80,000, some are 30,000, some are 45. They all cost different amounts and they all have different types of funding um, right. and how they award that funding. So just keep that in mind that you'll get a different amount for each college because it's telling you what the college thinks that you'll have to pay for that particular school. Right. And there's a great example of where you might see that gap piece come into play, right? Where your yeah. EFC is 30000 and then the net price calculator for a given school might tell you 45000 And then, right. you, you know, that that's what you will ultimately pay. And then you'll know before your child applies, gets accepted that, oh, that's mm -hmm. not going to be feasible for us. Or maybe right. it is feasible. Maybe you're saying, well, the EFC is 30, but we would be willing to pay 45. And then right. you know that that's perfectly within bounds, but that's yeah, what it some, is. And some schools, like I know there's a couple schools I've been kind of playing around with these calculators, you know, for the last couple of years too. And some schools will give you a range. They'll say, well, this what this might be the high range of what we would require you to pay. This might be the the kind of the average, and then this might be the lower range. So they give you a little bit of a range. Some schools will tell you, you know, if it's scholarships and grants and loans. So it's so different on each college's website. So it, it, it's a great idea if you have the time to, to do each of the colleges your child is, is looking at applying to. Right. And, you know, for the listeners out there who have been following along, my son is currently applying to college. And mm -hmm. as we are talking, I was thinking, huh, I, I don't know that I actually have done the NPC. Be, <laughs> you know, I have a general sense of how much I think it's going to yeah. cost, but I probably should check that out. Um, yeah. Well, it's and then that. Cool. Yeah, and well, it brings me to the next thing, and another reason why I think that it's going to be different from school to school. But and the question here is, does that net price calculator include merit scholarships? Because there are schools out there who are offering merit scholarships, really in effect, they're discounting, right? And um, that's going to be different at every school. Yeah, so it, it, I mean, it really depends on the college. So there are some colleges that use their own calculators. They invent their own calculators. They might mm -hmm. ask for a student GPA. They might ask for any test score information, um, you know, where they rank in their class. So any of those kinds of questions can also help the college determine um, kind of how much of a merit scholarship they might be offering a student. Mm -hmm. um, other schools might have the same exact information that they're asking as the EFC calculator that you do on like the bigfuture.org website. It might be the same information. Um, and so they may leave out any scholarships that might be related to merit. So again, it's really important when you're on these websites, these school websites using these calculators, you want to make sure you're reading the information that the college is providing to see what are they including in their calculator? Is, is it including, you know, some kind of merit offer? Is it is it just based on need-based aid? Um, and then, you know, you can look at to, again, like I said earlier, some of the schools will include what kinds of aid they might offer you. So it's good to know if some of those aids are, you know, that they're offering is a subsidized loan or work study. So really look at the results. But again, this is a great reason why it's a good idea to do it at every school to get a good sense. And it's, again, it's not going to be it's not going to be exact. I mean, it is, again, just a general idea of what the school thinks they'll pay you. So it's not a like a binding kind of agreement that that's what you're getting until you file all the forms that you need to file and hear back from the school. 
Right. One actually, one thing that I found, I was on one net price calculator on one school. And what was interesting is that was one of the schools where they asked for a student's test scores and GPA. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I did was take a look at if the GPA went up slightly, or probably in this case, because the GPA was fairly fixed, if the test scores went up slightly, how did that change the merit picture? Because they were factoring in merit aid. And that can be an interesting exercise to see, gee, is it worth the test prep, right? Because I could see clearly that if the scores went up 50 points overall in the composite on the SAT, this in this case, that the merit went up about 10,000. And so, you know, was it worth it to spend $3,000 on some additional prep for those scores to potentially increase, which would have amounted to, you know, if you do, you know, if you subtract the three from the 10, that's $7,000. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, yeah. it, sometimes it's worth it to do the test prep. Now, granted, if the student was more like 150 points away from that additional 10,000, well, yeah. then, you know, it's probably not realistic right. to imagine that's going to change. But, you know, yeah. as you think about those things, um, and I know we're in a test optional world, so yeah. it's not always so cut and dried. But um, yeah, but it's a good calculator to play around with, too, financially. I mean, if, if the family thinks they're going to sell some assets or cash in something, they can change around the calculations just to see kind of how that just like you said how that changes what the school might offer so right exactly so you don't always have to put in the actual but remind yourself i've changed some figures <laughs> right. right this is not it happening might not be the real numbers exactly and it might not be attainable so in the right. case of where you're looking at oh wow with 50 more points it's ten thousand more dollars well yeah. if your child doesn't get that 50 more points you're not getting you that additional get that. ten thousand, right exactly. so you have to remember remind yourself yep. i have put fake numbers in here yep. um well it, so it sounds like you recommend using both calculators is that a fair assessment I do. I mean, I think especially if you're just starting out and you're not sure, you know, how to how to work everything, how to pay for everything, this will give you a really great overall idea of, number one, what the government thinks that your ability to pay is with that EFC calculator. But with the net price calculator, then you'll know kind of what the college it, that itself will kind of think what they could pay you guys. So, you know, it can be specific to each college. So I just think they're great tools for families that are, are starting the process or if you're knee deep in the process and you're, you know, even right now in October, if you're still filling out the FAFSA, you may not hear from colleges until next March or next April right. what you're eligible for. So it's even good now just to get an idea um, of, of kind of what, where you're at. So, you know, just keep in mind, they're only estimate numbers, you know, actual numbers come once you do the FAFSA and you apply to the school for that merit scholarship and um, but yeah, I think they're great. They're easy to use. They're av- very available. So absolutely. Okay. Once you do one, the next one's pretty easy to do because you have all the info for the most part. Awesome. Chrissy, thanks so much for joining us today and, and talking us through this. Absolutely. Thanks, Beth. Have a great day. All right. You too. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the Yale supplement. So don't go away. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful. 
but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, everyone, to Getting In. We are talking about the Yale Supplement, and we've got a lot of questions to cover, so I'm jumping right in. Joining me is my colleague, Amy Alexander, who also happens to be not only a Yale graduate, but also a former admissions officer at Yale. Hi, Amy. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining us today. Um, All right, Yale. They have eight supplemental essay questions. Before we jump into those, um, curious, what's your take on what are they trying to get from applicants with these questions? Good question. And I think just to, to kind of share, I think they're asking for eight because they want to make sure you're pretty darn serious about applying to Yale. Right. I mean, no one's going to tackle eight essays. I mean, a bunch of them are very short, which people think, oh, that's easy, 35 words, but it's actually harder. Um, but what Yale is really, let's first look at what is Yale looking for? I think one of the short answer, the 35 word or fewer um question answers is really hits the nail on the head. The one that asks says students, Yale students embrace the concept of and rather than or pursuing arts and sciences, tradition and innovation, defined goals and surprising detours. What's an example of and that you embrace versus or? Mm-hmm. That's what Yale's looking for. When I, back when I was at Yale and all of my peers, back when I was at the admissions office and we looked at the application files, it was students that were engaged and involved in more than one thing. Now, a lot of students that are engaged and interested in multiple things, but they really had one or two or three things, two or three things that they excelled at, that they really dove into. They were often right and left brain. They were often engaging and interested in maybe, you know, I was a competitive swimmer and I loved languages and culture and communication. People communicated. Other people maybe really love uh, biochemistry, but they also love history. They always tend to have more than one. And this question, which is, I don't think any other college asks it, really shares what Yale is looking for. 
Right. So when you're answering that, that those are the things you need to go to, correct? The um, your own personal and like you just shared with us that it was uh, you were a swimmer and you loved communication and connecting. And yep. as students think about answering that one, we would encourage them to focus on that. All right. Awesome. So we've got one of them out of the way. Let's go up to the, there are two that are 125 words maximum. Um, and one of the things that Yale asked you to do in the beginning of their application is to select three academic areas of interest. And then their first question is basically why these three, they say, why do the three academic areas you selected above appeal to you? Any and 125 words, any specific advice on that one? Yeah, and this is an interesting one because it's very short, right? So you think, oh, I can only cover one of my areas. Let's right. say you're interested in econ, international relations, and uh, political science, right? I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of c- common, right? What Yale also likes is people that approach things in a multi-interdisciplinary approach. So you might say how you're really probably going to major in economics, but it's that global approach that most interests you. It's how governments make policy changes that affects the economy that most interests you. So because it's 125 words and you have two or three majors you're listing, how do they overlap? How do they connect? And I think, now you might also have uh, history, econ, and, you know, art or something, you know, and that's fine. And you might add a line about that, or you might not even mention the art one and just talk about the other two. You don't have to cover all three, mm-hmm. but kind of connecting your interests is also something I think Yale looks for is how you connect things because they, they don't tend to pick narrow focused people. They tend to pick people that look at things in a bigger, broader way. Right. Great. I love it. Love that insight. The next 125 word max question is, what is it about Yale that has led you to apply? Yeah, that one, you know, people will come up with all kinds of things. And, you know, they'll do very, what my biggest beef is when I'm reviewing essays, especially right now, is students that respond in very broad general terms. Yes. Students. Oh, New Haven is a manageable sized city. It's not a big city like Chicago or New York City. Well, hey, don't talk about other cities and don't talk about things you don't like. Talk about why you like Yale. Right. For this one, I want you, because it's 125 words, pick something very specific. It could be the Great Strait Alliance organization and the way Yale uh, interacts with New Haven and the community in that organization. That could be your 125 words. It might be a specific professor that is doing really cool research that aligns with some of the stuff that you started kind of getting interested in in high school. Pick one or two things that are very specific to Yale, of course, a professor, an organization, and really share how that aligns or matches or connects to you more personally. The more personal you get, the better. And for the love of God, this applies to Yale or any other uh, why this college small essay, big essay that you're writing that they're an Ivy League, that they're so prestigious, that they're so wonderful. Please, please leave it at the door. Nobody cares. They want to know why you are drawn to this school and you need to be specific. And you need. And if the only reason you like Yale is because it's an Ivy, well, they're not. Say goodbye because you're not, you're not getting in. I don't really know any other way to say that. Well, Doesn't I'll work. Add that. I'll add to that. 
I have a student that I'm working with, with right now who happens to love Yale. And, you know, his dad keeps saying, you're not showing your achievements enough. And this is a brilliant, interesting, insightful. I really enjoyed talking to him. I enjoyed reading his essays. And he happens to be a very modest young man. And I said, you have a gift because so many people would love to learn how to do that. He has mm-hmm. done that naturally. And I told his dad, no, actually, he's already doing it. What you're right. doing is going to cause him to get denied. Right. So they don't want people. Uh, it's interesting. I, you know, I was telling you before, I just had lunch with your co-vice president of college coach, and she happened to have gone to Brown. I went to Yale. And we were both saying in high school, we never even thought about college or kinds of college. I knew I was going to swim in college. I knew I like needed a really curious intellectual environment to stimulate, stimulate even I didn't know names or anything. And we just were thinking about learning and growing and doing our extracurriculars. It's those kinds of kids. It's not the ones who are strategizing and planning. It's the ones that are just doing because they're doing. Right, right. And so, and are applying to the school because truly they've done their research and this school is the right fit, not just part of a sports conference. So, well, and also, you know, by Yale, you're not, I don't understand the students that are applying to Yale and Dartmouth. And, you know, uh, Princeton, probably the Princeton may be a little bit more together, but like Yale, maybe Brown and Columbia. Yeah. But, you know, you have a small inner city school. You have that kind that looks at kind of that multi interdisciplinary. You have to look at the school that's the right match for you, because that's actually where you're going to thrive. You know, you're not going to because there's an eight. Right, exactly. And yes, every year we hear about this kid who gets into all the Ivies, but that is a a rare thing. And there are usually a lot of other things at play there. And the fact of the matter is that you're going to be more compelling at the school that really is a good fit for you because it's going to come naturally to talk about why. All right, we've got a lot to go through. So I'm we're going to move on from this. But okay, so then Neil has four 35 word essays. We already talked about one, which is the and versus or. Um, There's another one, what inspires you? What do you encourage students to think about here? Yeah, what I love about Yale's array of essays is they are truly trying to get to know you. The academic you, which was that first 125 word question, the personal you, right? So Mm -hmm. don't feel that everything you write has to be academically focused. They want to get to know who you are as a human being. So what does inspire you? Maybe it's your mom. Maybe how she works and manages the house and, you know, keeps everyone in check in your family. Maybe it's some incredible astrophysicist that's a role model to you. Uh, Maybe it's your teacher. Maybe it's your dog who calms you. You know, it doesn't matter. But it just anything that inspires you, don't overthink it. Pick the actual thing and go with it. Right. Sounds great. Love it. Um, Okay. Next one is you're teaching a new Yale course. What is it called? Again, it's 35 words. And I love this one. And I actually, I have a student who's, um, oh, I've had so many students write really cool ones about this. One wrote a about um, something to do with food prep because during COVID he really got into helping his mom and do like food preparation even though he's a chemist Um, another one wrote about um, the one who was interested in kind of in more um, language and communications like me and we had a lot of fun when talking about that one but remember you're not writing out kind of a a why or whatever it's just the name of the course and a title but this will show a lot about your personality your interests so if you have an interest that's a little different a little quirky 
write that. And it could right. be it could be about making donuts. It could be about, you know, sitting at the beach and just watching the water. It could be about looking at the stars every now. It could be about watching your favorite reality TV series. I mean, it doesn't matter. It will just show a different side of you, which Yale wants to see. Right, exactly. Not everything has to be ultra, ultra serious. Um, okay, Yale's residential colleges regularly host conversations with guests representing a wide range of experiences and, comp- and accomplishments. What person, past or present, would you invite to speak and what would you ask them to discuss? Again, 35 words. Yeah, this is another one. This is a huge thing at Yale. Um, We are broken down. Well, we used to have 12 residential colleges. Now there's 14 and they're even building more. But um, it's a really neat thing that you're part of this kind of home, this smaller home within the larger Yale undergraduate college within then Yale University. And they do have uh, deans and assistant deans in each one. And they invite speakers regularly and they come and you sit, you have coffee or tea and you listen to these fascinating people. They could be world-renowned, uh, you know, scientists or historians. They could be uh, dancers. They could be artists. They could be um, controversial people. They could be lobbyists. They could be, you know, all kinds of things. So they want you to look at. Again, it doesn't have to be serious. It can be. It could be, you know, like if right. you're really into, you run the debate club at your school or Science Olympiad, and you're like, oh, I want to invite, you know, one of my role models or someone I've read about. Great. And what would you want to know? What would you want them to share with you? Or it could be something kind of silly or something lighter or something reflecting your interests or your approach to life. So again, this is showing your personality. Um, and then, of course, what would you want, uh, you know, them to speak about? You might pick someone who is a famous scientist and say, what did, what did you talk about at the dinner table? And it's right. not a serious question. You just want to know what they were like as a, like an everyday person. That's okay. That humanizes you. All right. We have three minutes to get through three questions. <laughs> so <laughs> Yale has two more essays they ask you to write. Each of these are 250 words. One you get a choice, one you do not. Here's the one you don't get to choose. Um, Yale's extensive course offerings and vibrant conversations beyond the classroom encourage students to follow their developing intellectual interests wherever they lead. Tell us about your engagement with a topic or idea that excites you. Why are you drawn to it? So this one, you know, I tell students, you can write again about that one you talked about, your your econ or your top interest, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's a different light or more specifically or share um, what is it about it that you're so excited about? The first one you're talking about, maybe what Yale could do for you. But this one is how did that interest develop? How, you know, what do you, are you doing to nurture it? Or you might pick, maybe you have your econ policy international relations, but then you're really also fascinated by biology or, or who knows what, right? Right. You can write about that topic here. Maybe you sit at night and to get away from your AP econ homework and you go down a rabbit hole learning about something else, you know, how, you know, how to solve the Rubik's Cube and how to whatever. Maybe that's a topic, games and puzzles. That's okay to write about too, because that is an intellectual exercise and it's something different. So totally fine to follow your main interest, but also okay to kind of go with something different. Okay. All right. Last one, you have a choice. Um, So you pick one of these two. Reflect on a community to which you feel connected. Why is it meaningful to you? You may define community however you like. Quick, quick um, ideas for this one. 
Well, you know, and kind of, you know, you look at both of these, I often tell students to be very honest, if they're applying to other schools, early action or rolling, or they're planning for regular decision, a whole bunch of them, you know, this community essay is a very common one. A lot of colleges ask this in some form, and they're typically 250 words. So if you are, what I tell students, and this isn't just for you, all of you that are planning to apply to Yale, but look at all of your supplements of the colleges you're interested in. If you see a lot of overlap, pick them. Right. So because this community one is pretty common, I tell students, go with that because you're going to use that for multiple essays because it's going to be the same. It's not Yale specific. So for this one, it really could be it could be your family community. It could be for me, it was my swim community Uh, for other people. Maybe it's the theater. Other people, maybe it's um, some club they run. You know, I have a girl this year who started an origami club during COVID. And that is now her community of people all all over the world because they met via Zoom and other uh, methods. So she has this community that she didn't have before. So community can mean anything. Don't stress if it's like, oh, it's my town or it's my, no, community can be defined in a very small way. Could be your five best friends is your small little community that that you rely on, or it could be something kind of bigger and broader. All right. Awesome. Last one, really quickly, reflect on something that's given you great satisfaction. Why is it important to you? Yeah, this one, you know, because students have a lot of fun with this is not asked often. So if you really do want to share that, I've had kids say, you know, eating ice cream during the summer, um, (laughs) teaching little kids how to swim, um, going for a jog in the rain, you know, really, or, you know, going down a rabbit hole with a really interesting topic. What I would do with this last one is look at the rest of the essays. Did you cover all your interests? Did you cover um, things that are really Part, part of your identity, really define who you are. And if there is something that wasn't covered, share it here. Perfect. Amy, thanks so much for joining. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. All right. When we come back, we are talking about the Schreier's Honors College Supplement, which is 10 essays. So don't go away. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Um, You may remember that maybe you are a regular listener to this podcast. Well, back on October 7th, um, Karen Spencer, my colleague and former Georgetown and Franklin and Marshall AO, joined the show and we talked about essays at large state schools. And there was a lot of complaining about the 10 essays required for Penn State Stryer's Honors College. (laughs) Hi, Karen. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. Me complain about 10 essays? Really? I can't imagine that. Nope. I I can't either. But um, Karen (laughs) graciously decided to come back because we realized we probably could offer students some help when it came specifically to that Honors College application. We are going to go through 10 the 10 essays. Before we do that, really quickly, just in case I don't have time at the end, um, next week, Sally is here. We are talking about liberal arts colleges, not only just the beauty of academics at liberal arts colleges, but also the return on investment, which I know sometimes people are concerned about. We're also going to be talking about early round results and getting ready for regular decisions. So make sure you tune in next week. But Karen, I'm going to jump right in because we have a lot of ground to cover. The first thing that I will say is, yes, Penn State requires 10 essays for their honors college. Yikes. Um, one of those essays is 400 words, but it is not actually an essay. And that one is around any college credits you've earned or have underway. So, so long as it doesn't appear in your high school transcript, right? So really what they want there is a list. And if you don't have any, then you write not applicable. That one's done. Woohoo. So let's dig in one down. Let's dig into the ones. That we want to talk about. Okay, the first two are notable because they're each can be as much as 800 words. Um, they put a minimum of five words. Guess what? We started five on words. that either, the five word thing. I was like, what? What is yeah. that? Okay, what's I'm, the point? I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Yes. Five words is not going to do it. Um, you don't necessarily have to write 800. Let's start with um, one of those two, which is the one that I think you're finding students to be finding the most challenging. How will our society be remembered in 100 years? What advice you have? Yeah, I think I, the people I've been working with that really struggling with this one, I think what's hard in, in, the, in the things I see is they're writing as if it's today. And I'm like, you need to pretend it's 2121, right? Like right. it's a hundred years from now, right? What are you thinking about us then, right? It's not going to be the same thing you're thinking about right now. I, I give the example. I said, you know, a hundred years ago from now was the roaring twenties, right? I don't mm-hmm. think the roaring twenties describe themselves as the roaring twenties, right? Like the, the, when you were living in the twenties, you didn't realize that you were about to hit a huge depression for the next decade. You didn't realize there was right. going to be another world war, you know, 10 years, you know, after that. So I think one of the reasons the 20 looks so good is because it was followed by such awfulness pretty much for the next 15 years of the 20th century. So, you know, you have to think about it it requires some creative thinking of like, where do you see us going for the next hundred years? And that will then inform how we look 
now, right? right? Has the world imploded from global warming? Well, then maybe we're not writing this essay at all, right? Like maybe, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know, is, is maybe it's about the gender that, you know, the pay gap in gender. You can't imagine, you know, that that was a thing that women got paid less than men, or maybe it is something about the environment, or maybe we are speaking, you know, a different language because we're no longer American, whatever it is, right? It, it's, it requires a little bit of creative thinking and some reflection of, who are we now? So I think it's really a combination of thereof. And I think where people get mistake is they pretend like they're writing about it. Like describe your society right now. That's not the question. Right, right. Exactly. How will we hold up in the future and what's right. going to stand out? Okay. Great advice. Okay. Um, the next longer uh, response question they ask is, what would you like to do for the next few years if you didn't go to college? Interesting. So, and I think there's actually a little bit of a trip up here as well. Because one of the questions coming up is where would you go, like, where would you go to, um, what's the question coming up? I pulled it up. Like, to where would you like to travel? And a lot of people yes. are answering that question here because a lot of people are saying, well, if I didn't have to go to college, I'd go to Europe or I'd go to Asia or I'd do whatever it is I do. So just, it doesn't mean that you can't say that here, um, but just know that this question is also potentially, there's some version of this you might also be answering later on. So think about if traveling is in your future, like, Think about how you're then going to answer this other question that you also have to ask with that specific question. Um, You know, I had one student talk about how she wanted to go to Rome because she was really like fascinated by the Romans and all of her world history courses. And she wanted to see that, you know, like that's what she would do. And then with the travel one, it was a little bit more lighthearted. It was more like, you know, I'd go to Tahiti because, you know, so you can go in either direction. Just know that sometimes this is going to have some overlap and you've got a sense for how you would write about both of those questions. Right. Well, and I think that brings up a good point that actually Amy was making in the previous segment that we just did, which is, you know, you should be looking at all the questions you're answering for all the schools, ideally before you start writing so that you can look for places where things overlap. And if you're writing 10 essays for the honors college at Penn State, the very least you should be doing is looking at all the college uh, at all the questions before you start writing so that you notice that overlap. Like, oh my goodness, I just wrote 800 words about how I would travel and where I would go outside of the US. And now I have to answer the same question. And this, you know, that's not ideal. Right. So actually, why don't we go to that next one, which is um, the now the next group are only a max of 400 words. not short, but at least not 800 words or not a max of 800 words. And that one is where would you like to go in the world outside of the United States and outside where you are now if it's not the United States? So I, you know, to me, that is if you're an international applicant, you want to write about somewhere other than where you live, but also somewhere other than the United States. I think that's a little thing there. But any advice on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the answer here is there's no right or wrong answer, but I think they're they're looking about like why do you want to go there? It's there's no right, there's no like well the right answer here is Spain, right? Right. There's no magical right answer they're looking for. I think they want to know why you want to go there, right? Like so the person who I was talking about who wanted to go to Rome and to Greece was like really interested in like the beginning of civilization and all these other things. And like, you know, the, the rise of the Roman, like she clearly had a passion for this time frame, Right. And mm-hmm. so that came through as her interest in this aspect of history. Right. Um, so why do you want to go there? I mean, I said Tahiti earlier, maybe don't put, I mean, that sounds awesome to me. That's where I would totally go right now, but that's, you know, that's right. another story. Um, 
you know, why do I want to go there? What, what is driving me there, right? It's not the answer you choose. It's why you've chosen it, right? That's what, that's your opportunity for me to learn a little bit about who you are, what you value, what you're interested in. And it doesn't have to be academic like the Romans. Like it doesn't have to be that. Maybe, you, maybe you've always wanted to love, you love to cook and you love French food. And so you would really just want to go to Paris because you think a croissant is the best thing you've ever had. And you want to recreate, by the way, the Trader Joe's ones. Awesome. I totally should get points for that one. But yes, you want to go get those. But maybe you want to recreate them yourself and you've always, fine. Maybe you love cooking and that's your kind of your side passion. Great. Put that down. It doesn't have to be academic. Right. And I would say go to Paris, but for me, it would be more about in high school, I studied French from the seventh grade all the way through 12th grade. And I had a real interest in France and in Paris. And I, my goal would be to go there and to try to become fluent after all those years in the classroom, right? So, but to your point, it doesn't have to be academic, but it is an opportunity maybe to show a different side of you or something that you might not pursue in college, but that you would love to explore further um, outside of college. Okay. Next question. Tell us about your high school record, not what's in it since we have it already, but why you took some of the courses you took and what your experience was, especially for classes which were more challenging for you. You This one, I think, is a little tricky for students, too. I think they kind of are like, what are they getting at here? Um, And I'm not totally totally clear what they're trying to get at here necessarily, but I think there's an opportunity to think about um, classes again that did challenge you, right? I one of my students talked about how they specifically took advanced science because they're actually that's not their strength, and they kind of wanted to push themselves, and they knew they were going to be bored if they were sitting in a regular level science course, even though this was going to probably be a little bit of a struggle for them. Great, but like the honesty, this person did well, so that always helps. You don't like they got a D in AP bio, then that maybe, or maybe that needs to explain the D in AP bio. Maybe that is what you say. Um, but I think it also could be like electives too, right? Maybe you took criminal justice, because you really are interested in being a lawyer and you wanted to get some exposure to, you know, going to a courtroom. Um, or maybe it was ceramics because you loved that part of your day where you could be do something creative because everything else was so kind of like memorize this, read this, and this got to allow you to, you know, explore that avenue um, of, of your personality where none of your other courses gave you that kind of flexibility. That's fine too. I think, again, all these, any essay, frankly, always goes to what did I learn about you, right? That I didn't know yes. before that is interesting. Right. Frankly. And I think, you know, the examples you just shared, we learned one person really found a creative outlet in ceramics. We, another person really wanted to be challenged, even in areas where he didn't excel. Um, what you don't want to learn is maybe, oh, well, I didn't do well in this class because the teacher was terrible. You know, what I learned there is that you blame other people if things don't go your way. However, you could say I really struggled in this class because the way the teacher taught and the way I learned didn't align. So I figured out how to adjust my style and here are the steps I took. And ultimately, it ended up being a, a decent experience because we kind of figured things out, right? There's a big difference there. And, um, I and when I'm sure you've said this before, but you never, ever blame the teacher or the school. I don't care yeah. if it's totally legit. It might be. I have no idea, but it's just never going to go over well. So don't do it. Right, exactly. And I think that the bottom line there is your, your thing. What are we learning about you? So once you finish it, step back and say, what does this say about me? And if what it says about you is that you blame others, then you probably need to go back to the drawing board. If it says about you that, oh, wow, you're curious and you're engaged, then that's a good takeaway. Doesn't ha- That doesn't have to be the takeaway, but it shouldn't be a negative takeaway. Okay. 
Next question, again, a 400-worder. How do you see yourself improving society and the lives of others in the future? And what do you hope to get at Penn State as a Schreier scholar to help you accomplish your goals? So important point here, two questions, right? Um, I remember, and you might remember this, the CEO of Bright Horizons um, always had this famous thing he likes to do, or at least used to in interviews back in the day. He would ask an interviewee three questions and see if they remember to answer all three. Um, I do this test, by the way, my husband all the time and he fails. So um, I'm like, remember I told you if you do three things, you've only done one of them. Um, So same thing here. Um, You've been asked two questions, right? How do you want to improve society? And how are you going to get the tools to do this through Shriers, right? Right. Make sure you answer both questions and make sure you do them both justice. This is not 10 words on one and 390 on the other, right? Like, I want to know, I mean, again, this is a lot like a why this college essay, right? Why do you want to go to this school, right? This is about the marriage of what it is you hope to do and how this place is going to allow you to, you know, learn, do, experience the things you need so that you can go do those things, right? So, you know, it doesn't have to be half, but we need a decent portion on how is it you want to change the world and how is this place going to help you do it? Make sure you answer both questions. Perfect. Okay. We have three minutes and four questions. The next one, I think pretty quick. Uh, Tell us about your most significant out-of-class activities before the pandemic and since. Overall, what activity has meant the most to you and why? I mean, there's a lot of questions going on there too. I think that's a little bit of a thing of saying, okay, we understand that maybe you didn't get to do said thing is really not COVID friendly. And so you've had a good year and a half off from that. Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it was COVID friendly and you've been doing it the whole time. So don't feel like it has to always be a different answer pre and post COVID. It might be the same answer. It might not be. Um, But again, this is telling me, you know, how there's that quote that's, you know, how you spend your time is how you spend your life, right? That is your life, how you spend your time. So this is kind of telling a student, what you do outside of the classroom is that's the part you had freedom over. How'd you choose to spend it, right? That tells me what you value, what you enjoy doing, um, and what you what you did, if anything, right? If you're like, huh, what'd I do, right? right? Like, that's probably a problem. So thinking about what is your most valuable experience also doesn't have to be the most labor intensive. It very well might be, but it doesn't always have to be. It might have been something you did once, but it was like changed how you view something. Okay, it could be that. All right. Um, I'm, we're not going to talk about the next one because very briefly, I'm going to say it's asking about the awards or other recognition you've received and which one means the most to you and why. The core of that is what means the most to you and why. So you just want to make sure you dig into that. You have 400 words. That should be more than a 20 word answer. Can I do uh, say one thing? It says list the awards. I've had yes. to repeatedly tell people this is not narrative. Take them up on their offer. Easier. And list. Good idea. List means list. Good idea. All right. Very quickly, tell us about a book or other media that's made you think about something in a new way. Any quick advice on that one? It's like the UVA question. Think about media could be broad, right? So if, if, if a book, it's not it, it's a song, it's an advertisement, it's something, right? Um, one person actually used how an advertisement made him realize he wanted to go into marketing because um, he realized like he remembered all jingles from like for the last 15 years, he could tell you any commercial. And that's actually what got him to wanting to do like advertising and marketing. Okay. All right. I love it. Last one, really quick. Tell us anything you would like us to know about you and that we wouldn't get from the rest of the application. That is the core of it. Any tips? Don't say what you think an admissions officer wants to hear. We say that all the time, right? There is not a right answer here. And be thoughtful about your answer. It could be funny. It might be serious. Um, Think about like, what is quintessentially you? And have I been able to really relay that in, you know, a thing? Maybe you make the world's best omelet. 
Okay, great. I mean, that might be a fun way to do whatever. And okay. I mean, I think you could go a lot of different ways on this one. Um, Just be thoughtful in your response, but I know that can be overwhelming. So just think what kind of core characteristic of me, serious or otherwise, maybe that I didn't get to talk about. Have I not shared yet? I think that's the key, right? You don't want to go over everything you've already said. You want to think about what's something new. And if you honestly don't know what else, ask your friends, what, what do I, what does everyone who knows me need to know about me? And um, you maybe you can go in that direction. Karen, thank you so much for joining and for this great conversation about how to handle those 10 uh, questions that the Honors College at Penn State asks. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate being on. All right. Well, don't forget to our listeners, we're here every Thursday, 1 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.